Welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today we hear from Marta Dusseldorp, co-creator and star of Australian thriller Bay of Fires, inspired by her relocation to Tasmania during the pandemic. From Tall Story Pictures creative director Catherine Oldfield on the return of ITV crime drama The Bay, and from New and Connect's Leona Connell about the shifting dynamics of English and French language programming. A household name in Australia, actor Marta Dusseldorp is also known around the world thanks to starring roles in dramas such as Janet King, Rake and A Place to Call Home. Now, she stepped behind the camera for the first time as the co-creator and producer of Bay of Fires, a Tasmania-set dark comedy thriller for ABC in which she also plays the lead. Described as Ozark meets Fargo and Schitt's Creek, the series was inspired by her own real-life relocation to the remote island during the pandemic and is made by Dusseldorf's own company, Archipelago Productions, together with Fremantle. She spoke with Michael Pickard. Marta, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, just introduce us to Bay of Fires, if you can, and, and tell us a bit about your character, Stella, um, who maybe isn't Stella when we first meet her. <laughs> yeah, Stella, a.k.a. Annika. Um, yeah, so Bay of Fires, it's a co-production between Fremantle and um, my company, Archipelago. We're a small independent production company here in Tasmania, which is an island off the bottom of Australia. Um, it's an eight-part crime thriller, um, something that I built with an incredible Australian writer, Andrew Knight, who wrote Jack Irish, uh, Rake, After the Deluge, Hacksaw Ridge, Water Diviner. Um, And I've known him for a long time. We did Jack Irish for nine years. Um, and he's a friend, but also an incredible um, mentor for me. And during the pandemic, I rang him up and I'd moved here. I'd been here for about a year and a half. And I said, I'm living in the most extraordinary place in the world, um, a place that's full of secrets and uh, an incredible landscape. And if you could dream with me over Zoom while we were all locked in our separate spaces, he lived in Melbourne then, I would just love to take you on this journey around this space so I I drove around I sort of showed him things and then we got another writer Max Dan and we created a series about a woman who's thrown out of her life we were during COVID and finds herself having to hide in a space that is full of of mystery and secrets and and nobody is who they seem to be and neither is Stella or Annika (laughs) And what I love is she's a she's a mum, but but she sort of throws the kids along with her, um, and then slowly we reveal through the series. So it's a bit of a slow burn, uh, in the sense that it's not until really episode five that you completely understand what she's gotten herself into. And I I think of it as when Harrison Ford fell through the ceiling in one of the Raiders of the Lost Ark and he lands and then you realise he's just surrounded by snakes <laughs> and snakes are the worst thing in his in his life and he can't imagine how he'll get out. So that's a little bit like Stella. Um, it's a world with no technology. Uh, we go back to analogue and I love that because you have to walk or drive to see someone to have a conversation. It's no mobile phones going off. Mm-hmm. Um, and she slowly trips herself up enough that she becomes like them and eventually, without giving too much away, has to has to find out who she really was right at the beginning. And that was a, a, a nod to, to COVID, really, to say what happened when we all had to sit by ourselves and look at who we were. Did we become the thing we were always meant to be? Or did we find a, a new personality? Um, so, yeah, but it's a little bit like Ozark meets Fargo meets Shit's Creek. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good description. I, I totally buy into that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I mean, in terms of, you know, obviously people will know you best for your acting, you know, been prolific in many Australian series over the last a uh, few years but I mean in terms of your production role and archipelago films I mean tell us a bit about how that has emerged and and how I think this is perhaps the first show you've co-created officially so how have you sort of managed that move behind the camera um 
stealthily. Uh, <laughs> I'm very focused, Michael, on this one. Um, it is my baby, and I think there's something to be said for that in boutique, tiny, you know, companies that are that are beginning to to reach outwards. So I've done a lot of series that have gone for a very long time. A Place to Call Home went for six seasons, Janet King three with Crownies before it, and Jack Irish, as I've said, for over nine years. So I've become very close to the creators and there's been a lot of mutual respect on both sides. And so I got the confidence to believe that I could make a character better um, or more, more, I guess, interesting, multi-layered, especially as a woman, all the creators were men. And um, I gave them, you know, a couple of tips here and there. And, and then I, through that, made incredible relationships. I do think this business is based on relationships and finding those people people that you want to work with and want to tell stories with and and want to dive into um, complicated, difficult terrain. Really with this series, we wanted to create something that we hadn't seen in Australia. Um, I, I have seen it in Europe and and Britain and America, this, um, and that's not to say Australians don't make great drama, they really do, but we just wanted to give it a different edge, a, a probably a riskier edge that, um, yeah, that I, that we hadn't seen before. And I, I hope we've, in setting it on the west coast of Tasmania, it's the most alien landscape you could imagine. It's, it's quite foreboding, but also quite comforting in its, um, isolation. And that took a lot of convincing, I have to say, Michael. I really had to say to a lot of stakeholders, we will be able to complete it. It will, um, it will, in the dead of winter, no one will get hurt. We will find a way. There is enough money. So that really was my biggest job, was saying to people, let us go to this place that, you know, we're not sure we'll come back from, uh, but we'll sure have a good time trying to, to shoot something very original um, and isolated. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been the response. Anyone who's seen it has said to me, I just can't believe that place exists. Did you build it? I said, no, it was sitting there for us. And um, there's a lot of secret places here in Tasmania that no one's ever seen. So we were lucky enough to have their trust and and uh, and respect in the end. Mm -hmm. And they're all, the community's part of the show and we're part of the community now. So my journey as a producer, I don't know. I just, I just believe there was enough people that I'd worked with long enough that I could trust to do what they needed to do. They trusted me to do what I needed to do. And that includes Fremantle. I've worked with them a fair bit. I had an exclusive at one point with them just developing shows. So through their mentoring, I was able to believe that I had a story to tell and that I had the capacity to do it. So on the other side of it, I'm I'm really proud and um and I'm very grateful for people's belief. So I can't wait to do it all again, frankly. I'm a little bit addicted now. Do you find, I mean, I certainly hear as well, actors are certainly becoming greater stakeholders in the shows that they're making. Um, I mean, do you find actors are, are given the respect, for want of a better word, of people, you know, taking their ideas and, and running with them and not just sort of fobbing them off and thinking, well, you just worry about the acting, you know, kind of thing. You know, do you find that, is, are we more nuanced and, and uh, respectful than that perhaps so if the if the origin comes from the performer which it certainly did in my case with Andrew and Max we really co-created it together we sat when we could see each other we sat for days and weeks and went on recce's together and really dreamed it up in a in a I think this really helped in a very relaxed manner. We we got backing very quickly from ABC in Australia here. They said, we, we want to fully develop this. We think it's such an original idea and such an original place. So there was a calmness to it, which I think really benefits any storytelling when you can dream long enough around it, um, that it becomes authentic and integrated to the space so we built the story for the space and then the space fed the story. So we didn't just pick anywhere. That that was not um, interesting for us. It's very local for local, for those people. The other thing I said, I never wanted to make fun of anyone. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to admire this small community way of life because it really is um, 
boutique and uh, it's like slow cooking. Mm -hmm. It's um, full of flavor and exactly, I think, where we are right now. I don't know about you, Michael, but for me, a nice long conversation, a cup of tea, a genuine connection is, is what the pandemic taught me was the most important thing. So I think this show came from that and my, my relationships meant that I could be the producer I always wanted to, to be, which, which is more to listen to people, make sure they're comfortable and feel treasured and respected because there's nobody on that set that isn't not needed. And I, I sometimes have felt in the past, possibly as an actor, well, if you can't do it, someone else will. Um, and that just wasn't the case on our show. There was nobody replaceable. Um, and I really, I really loved that feeling. And I think we didn't lose any crew during the shoot. Quite a few shoots, um, people just sort of flipped on to the next one quickly moving, but we didn't. Um, we really were a carny vibe. And um, I hope that shows. Yeah. No, it's, it's um, yeah, just from what I've seen, it's a, it's a very inclusive show. You can tell that there's obviously a, a spirit behind it, I think. And a lot of that comes yeah. from the community and the isolation of of where it's set and, and Stella coming into this world. And 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 I was quite taken. You know, initially you think, oh, these are just a lot of oddball characters. Who you know, what's going on here? But as it as it reveals, they're they're a lot more knowing and and together than you perhaps think they are as a community. Maybe not always for the right reasons, but there's a lot of strong bonds in that community that we'll I imagine we'll see further on. Yes, what I fed into it was as a performer, because no one is just bad. They do things for a reason. And that can be how they're brought up or what happened to them. I mean, obviously, we know that, but I insisted on that. So we had massive backstories for everyone, why they are the way they are and why they they speak in the language they speak. So Frankie, who Kerry Fox plays, there's a reason she is the way she is. And in, in her mind, it, it's absolutely the only way to behave. And, and the only way to survive. And that was the other thing COVID brought up for us was how do you survive when everything you know has been taken from you? A lot of people were made redundant. They lost their jobs. They lost their families. They lost, they lost their security. And so we really wanted to explore that. Yeah. So these are a group of people who've lost a lot and that's revealed through the show. So who have they become and why? And are they happy in that skin? And some of them are and some of them aren't. And um, some terrible things happen because of that. What would you just say about Stella's journey? Because she's sent off to Tasmania in quite a rush at the start of episode one. And it's not immediately clear, as you said, about what's going on and, and why she's had to flee. But she soon finds herself in this new community. And, and what would you say is the path that lays ahead for her, you know, as, as she goes through the series? I think it's her destiny. And I think what I love is she's a reluctant hero. They're my favourites. Mm-hmm. Um, and things happen to her, but eventually she stops reacting and starts enacting. And so you you see her emerge uh, out of the ashes, if you like. But we didn't want her to become a superhero or someone that she wasn't in the beginning. She just uses what she knows to speak to these people in the language they understand. And I think that's what every great leader does. They eventually decode what it is that the community needs to hear so that they can be safe and be, uh, I guess, absorbed into that community. I mean, I was talking to these amazing creators who live in Norway, uh, two women who've made fabulous shows, and they said, we all love to flock that's what we want. We want to belong to the flock. And what happens when you're kicked out of that flock and find yourself on your own? Do you fall and sort of reluctantly walk away and die a slow death? Or do you struggle to get back? Or do you grab someone and pull them down? So I thought that was in our show. And I think Stella, I got tired, Michael, of playing women who were always in relationships with men, that that was the main thing. Um, I love being a mum myself so that I did want Stella to have a relationship with her children and for that to be core to the story but not define her again. There's a fabulous line in it where um, she's accused of being, and excuse my profanity, but a a shit mum by her son at his birthday party. And it's a pretty, pretty bad birthday party and she's forgotten it's his birthday and all of those things. And uh, she turns around to her kids and she says, I've been a, you know, a really shit mum to both of you. It's not like I singled you out 
you're not and that's how I feel as a mum sometimes I go look I'm just hopeless like missing this call you know I'm sometimes you just don't get it right so she's constantly not getting it right until she gets it very right and gives them back their life but then sadly because she's and I don't want to give it away but she's in this pit of people that she doesn't fully understand yet the final betrayal is the thing that undoes her completely because she doesn't see it coming. And I love that too, because we don't have a plan anymore. There's not a plane I get on that I think is going to take off. I I don't know where the next job will come unless I create it. Um, you know, I've stopped believing that I can, I can manage my own destiny. And I think as a, as a world, we kind of got a sniff of that and thought, okay, what does it mean? So Stella's journey is rocky. It's unfortunate. Um, she finds love along the way and she teaches her kids that she would die for them. And I think these are all things I I um aspire to. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that line you mentioned about you know being a shit mom, I mean that that probably exemplifies the humor that kind of runs through the show. There's that sort of dark humor. I mean, that's always a fine balance between you know when you've got a quite a dramatic series and you're trying to lace it with this dark humor was that something you talked about a lot you know with uh you know with Andrew and Max when you were sort of talking about the writer's room and 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 the scripts perhaps I think Andrew it will make anything funny that's his we call it gold dust he just sprinkles this gold dust and he'll take the most um serious moment and flip it on its head and kind of sumo wrestle it to the ground you just go wow how did you manage to make me laugh in this really dark moment so if anything I just encouraged him to go as dark as he possibly could because I knew he wouldn't be able to help himself and he would bring that beautiful lightness of touch and that ability just to make us at the last minute go from gasping to giggling and like you say it's a tightrope I mean we walked it as finely as we could and one of the most I met um, everyone at FMI who were distributing the film when I flew over to London we had this beautiful meeting with 15 of them and they'd all seen it and were excited and had ideas and and Jens who's the CEO of the company he said I watched it and I loved it he said you walk a tightrope and you never fall off and it's one of the most beautiful compliments I've ever been given not just as a performer he meant but as a show and these people they see a lot of content you know and I I took that back to the creator at uh, the other creators and I said you know we did it we've got we've got something really special because people are seeing how hard that can be and uh whenever I'm acting I try never to show the process all you want is for people to be in that moment and not seeing all the work that's gone behind but um yes there was many many drafts many many notes many many read throughs many many sleepless nights and in the end of the day it's a story and it's for an audience so they will be the judge and and, and and as you're going through that creative process and you're you're getting your hands sort of dirty behind the scenes at what point can you allow yourself to think right I need to get into acting mode now and is that something that's when with you on set when you're acting are you thinking well that doesn't look right and what's that going on over there is that are you, are you able to separate those functions now you're doing the dual roles well Michael I'm a mum <laughs> <laughs> so we're very good at having our eyes coming out the back of our head while also being completely present uh going forward but I look I've been acting for I don't know over 30 years and I've done a lot of theater and I've done very long running shows so the acting is actually the pleasure. It's the easy bit. It's the play. It's leisure. It's um, something I've always loved and continue to love. So for me, when the camera is about to roll up, the beauty of developing a character is you don't have to think very hard about where you are because it is your DNA. And I felt that when I played Sarah in A Place to Call Home and Janet in Janet King. I barely looked at the notes. I knew the words instinctively. Um, I never improvise on set. I really am not a fan of that. We, you know, especially how hard writers work to get it just just right, you know. So that was the time when I was able to sleep in a way because uh, Stella took over. And um, I wouldn't 
wouldn't say I'm a method actor, but because I was so enmeshed in it, I was pickled with Stella. She was she was more me than I was. I said more of her words than I spoke mine really over that time. So um, it was a relief actually to get those words out and have those scenes happen. Then I'd watch the rushes, which I've never done before, and that's that's a delight. I mean, sometimes you fast forward it, you're like, oh god, oh god, I'm going watch this. But um, and then the edits, and then remembering takes that were probably better and asking for those just to be put next to it. And then uh, people say, oh, yeah, that works so much better. I mean, post-production is a whole other level. That's like singing a lullaby to your baby. It's so beautiful. I mean, what an incredible time to just reflect and meditate and go back over and over and over meticulously. Um, So, yeah, it's been an absolute honour and a privilege. And you and you mentioned obviously filming on the west of, of Tasmania maybe had its logistical issues. Can you maybe talk us through some of those challenges that you had? <laughs> well, it's only a small four-hour drive with um a little bit of black ice and um mountainous um snow-covered roads. But once you get there, there's something meditative about the journey in and then when you're there the commitment is enormous because there's nowhere else to go there's no there's no noise there's no planes or trains or automobiles it's a community quite small in winter nobody there so we were we were it and uh it was like a circus group we became incredibly close Um, Sadly, we copped the third wave of COVID. So I did stay hidden because if I went down, we had to stop. Mm. So I was a little bit lonely, but I did manage to um, have some good sleeps. Um, But I think everyone else went trekking and they even weirdly did some water rafting in the middle of winter, which is not my thing. Um, And a couple of people were looking at realestate.com, which is a a, a site we have here trying to buy places on the West Coast because it's unmapped and um, lawless, one would say, at times. Uh, So the police became our best friends and often would take us up mountaintops and we'd be standing, they'd have the key to the gate and only we got to go up there. And so I feel logistically it was fine, actually. Um, We were able to ride a bus on the edge of a cliff, I mean, safely, of course, um, but we got some incredible shots that would not be possible in anywhere where there was traffic or pedestrians or even residents. I mean, there's 200 people living there full time, maybe a few more. But so, yeah, it really, we had the run of the town. And, um, you know, when we wrapped and we I was driving away on the last night, I thought to myself, Marta, concentrate. What is the most important thing for you that has just happened out of all of this 16 weeks? Well, longer than that, three years, really. And I thought nobody got hurt. And I just was so relieved um, because... You know, we we played on the edges of some spaces, always safely, um, and we had an incredible safety officer, actually. But we we got to see some remarkable places because we went out onto the edge. It was really, really remarkable. I hope people enjoy seeing this remote landscape because not a lot of people have. I mean, what, what do you, you sort of mentioned that this is maybe something new for Australian TV, perhaps something you know, international viewers maybe haven't seen from Australia before. What is it you hope viewers will will kind of get out of the show or, or, or surprise them or shock them or with them when they when they watch the show? Well, I hope they see a part of Australia they've never seen before, just on a basic level. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't like to put us it's just something we tried a little bit different, which is not to make a linear show that that needed A to B to C to D. We tried to A to E it sometimes and then flip back to B and then say, what happens if C is missing and we have to go straight to D? So we were we were constantly playing with form and but not to be tricky, never to be tricky. I think it's really important to understand an audience are looking for looking forward to a good story that has twists and turns, um, but is uniquely Australian. And that's what we tried to do. We did make it for an international audience, of course, because we would love our stories to travel. 
But in all the stories I've ever told that have sold around the world, it's because we made it for us in our place. And that's what's interesting. So I hope for international viewers, they book a ticket to Tasmania um, and then they can go there with the memories of the show. And so it'll be, I think, much more fulfilling because they'll feel ownership over it. So we're really bringing an enormous world heritage area into people's living rooms and saying we were allowed access and now you are too. And and, and what's next for you on a, on a personal level then? You're, you're obviously in a theatre play that you're rehearsing at the moment and are you creating new ideas for shows and, and what's next for you? We are. And I had some great meetings in London, actually. So there's someone that we'll um, develop a show with from, from London, which is great. And another two others that, um, that uh, one with Fremantle and Fremantle International, because I've absolutely loved working with them. And I think it's, again, like I said, you need to build relationships and, and keep, keep talking. And then there's, yeah, there's a potential for Bay of Fires to grow and live on. So we're working, we're working towards that as well. And that'll do. (laughs) (laughs) ITV crime drama The Bay is set in the northern English coastal town of Morecambe, centred on a family liaison officer helping victims of crime while at the same time supporting police investigations into them. Created by Dara Carville, the show is now on its fourth season, produced by Tall Story Pictures, whose ITV Studios parent has sold it to platforms around the world. Exec producer and Tall Story Pictures creative director Catherine Oldfield spoke to Michael Pickard about making the series, the secrets to its success, and how the company's navigating the challenges of today's marketplace. I'm Catherine Oldfield, I'm the creative director of Tall Story Pictures. We are a drama production company. We're part of the ITV Studios group. Um, We've been going since 2016. Uh, We're very writer-centred, so we believe uh, you put the writer at the heart of everything and entertain everyone with exceptional storytelling. That would be our boilerplate. We're very commercial mainstream. Um, We don't think that makes us unintelligent but we like making shows for broad and large audiences. Yeah, as ITV, I guess, would agree with that sort of mission statement. So, um, you know, you're in the right place, perhaps. And and as we've seen this week, as we're recording, you've uh, launched the fourth season of The Bay. Um, yeah. It's obviously a, it's been a huge hit for you and ITV over the last few years. And, and obviously season four speaks for itself. So, I mean, just tell us a bit about the show and perhaps introduce us to, to season four as well. Okay, well, um, the Bay is, uh, on the surface, feels like a police procedural uh, set in the northwest of England. Um, It's really strange. We don't see it like that at all. We see it as a family show in which someone dies and we work out who who, who is dying. So there is obviously a large investigative strand to it. But it's also about families. Dara, who created, co-created and writes the show, didn't really want to write a pure out-and-out cop show. He wanted to write, he's interested in the emotional complexity of being alive. So he was looking for a, an idea for a, a show the way he could do that. And he heard an interview with the family of a murder victim who spoke with real eloquence and emotion about how grateful they were to a family liaison officer, without whom they wouldn't have got through the horror that they'd been through. And he went, bingo, that's the one for me that's how we get in that's how we make an emotionally driven story rather than an investigatively driven I mean we do have the twists and turns as with any crime show because every audience member likes to be you know a bit of an armchair detective but first and foremost for us we always touch base on what is what's the truth of these situations how would you react how would these characters react so um, that's what drives us to do that. And then he pitched it to me, set in Morecambe, expecting me to go, oh, does it have to be there? And um, I luckily for um, know Morecambe really well. I have an aunt who lived there and I was so happy living there for about 30 years. So I knew it really well. And I went, yep, let's go to Morecambe because it's so beautiful. And no one, seen, no one had seen it on screen. Now it's in everybody's shows. Now we fight with other production companies to get locations and we shoot up there. But when we first went up there, no one had been filming up there. Um, and it is stunning. It's quite eerie in some ways. The bay is quite a sort of mystical 
entity in the show. It's always something going on slightly beneath the surface, which plays brilliantly into the genre of story that we're telling. So that's that that is the bay and coming back for series four which we're thrilled about and seems to have gone down really well with the audience which is fantastic and i do i absolutely love the show it has a very special place in my heart and the fact that it's now sold to something like 150 countries around the world this little show that dara and i talked about all those years ago which is now what seven years ago in a very pokey office on the south bank is now being watched all over the world we don't we can't quite get our heads around that but we're very happy about it and, and you talk about i guess the the show's you know um focus on family and, and obviously the the focus or the perspective of the the family liaison officer as you know the central character within the crime element of the show obviously lends itself to that i mean how have you sought to look at the role of that type of police officer and, and how they can work with families either with them often against them when they're withholding information, as we've seen in previous seasons of the Bay. It's not always uh, a simple well, job. It's a it? really hard job. I would say it's probably one of the hardest jobs um, on um, on a murder investigation unit because you're dealing with people at the very worst moment of their life and you are sort of slightly deployed as a cuckoo in the nest because you're there to keep them informed, to be the bridge between the investigation and the and the family, but you're also there to investigate. That's their primary duty. They're detective. All family liaison officers have to be detective sergeants. So they're detectives first. And then they're also doing this extraordinary job on the site. So it's so rich for the for dramatic mining. It's, you know, because everyone's reaction to there is no one sort of grief. There is no one sort of trauma. So um the the plethora of stories that we can come up with or characters that we can come up with in that environment is is endless which is great for us because it means we can always find another yarn to tell and I I was going to ask you just about you know season four I guess any other show would be hitting its stride and you know getting into a real sweet spot I mean obviously that's the same for the bay but you had a an added complication that Morgan Christie who was the star for the first two series decided to leave and, and then you've had Marsha Thomason joining season three so I guess this is her second season and and are you finding the groove again how how do you kind of feel about season four weirdly don't feel we left the groove actually I think it's you know in any show you just look Beth in Paradise, Silent Witness, Midsummer Murders, Taggart if we're going back in time that's my youth loads of shows have had change of cast and it's any actor's right to want to go and try other things and have different things but the Bay's always sort of had its groove. And so while it is Marsha's second season, it almost always feels like she's always been there. The character, the trick I think is when you're changing cast member is you've got to create a totally different character. That you know, it's it's really hard. It's not easy, it's not an easy thing to do. But um we spent a lot of time looking at who was, who was on, who was Jen, how is she gonna fit in, what opportunities was this going to give us and it gave us loads of opportunities for fresh new stories and uh and to change the family dynamic of her own life and also how she interacted with the team and see a different side of what this team members. so it, it wasn't an issue and you know in also you know in the police people get seconded so it's sort of it doesn't feel like we've done something to it if you know what i mean it sort of feels that it's an organic part of the show so, so if that that wasn't a challenge, that was a, a new opportunity to kind of reinvent the show a little bit, just a little. Yeah, bit. definitely. Um, yeah. Well, well, what definitely. are the challenges then on the show? Would you say what? The weather. The weather. The weather is a challenge. Um, the challenge is not to repeat ourselves. I, I am. Um, I, I drive poor Dara and the rest of the team a bit mad because um. I always say for the audience to think you're the same, you've got to be 25% better. But we don't want the audience to think we're the same. We want to be better. So I'm going, we've got to be 50% better. And I've had it said to me, well, it runs itself now, doesn't it? And I go, no. This is where I, I I mean, I love getting in the trenches and coming up with story with Dara. And the, the thing that we spend a lot of time, make sure we don't repeat ourselves. So quite often we go, oh, is that, it won't be exactly something, is it too close to something we've done before? How can we mix it up? What's the most surprising way of telling that story? 
Um, Dara always comes with themes that he wants to explore, little facets of life that he wants to explore. And then we we do, we spend a lot of time. I mean, we start before the writing, we've done four or five months discussion about how this will play out, what's unusual, what new, what new, um, just on a practical level, what new forensics are there? What new ways, you know, because after a while you go, let's not sell sight another mobile phone or rely on CCTV. What other ways are? So we have great police advisors who are also really good for that too. So yeah, it's just always, and how do we refresh, refresh, reboot, reboot? I mean, so season four of The Bay, you haven't got a season five yet or have you got that already? You're working on that? I'm working on it because we have to um, on the basis that if we didn't have, if we weren't sort of getting the scripts ready, we'd never get there in the time because um, we've had it the last, and we had it a yearly cycle and, um, you know, making six hours of telly in under a year is 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 hard, even if you start with two scripts. Start with no scripts <laughs> and you'll be like, Arr! so uh yeah so dara's writing at the moment and we know the story for the for five and um but who knows it's going to be up to the audience really in the end the audience on itv <laughs> do they want more we'd love to make we dara and i can come up with stories to make this one run and run and run and run because the possibilities in Morecambe and that environment are limitless um as long as the audience want us and itv want us we will be delighted to keep making it so so watch this space i mean can you just tell us a bit more about your slate then what kind of the stories that interest you who you're working with and, and what's kind of coming up for you next um we well we've got two more shows launching this uh, month grace returns uh later in the month um and we're really excited about that so that's series three and series four is getting ready to shoot now so that's we know that's coming back as well which is a great place to be um and three more exciting books on the way very shortly on itv and then we've got a new show also launching it's busy busy week um next week as well uh called redemption that we made for uh it was co-commissioned between virgin media in ireland and uh itv and stars the most brilliant paula malcolmson of ray donovan and hunger games and Edward and all those brilliant shows and um, that starts next week as well and we're really excited about that so um, it was great to work with her. Yeah I mean tell us about that you know building that co-production then you know Ireland are doing a lot in the co-production space across Virgin and RTE and, and other channels there and, and yeah, how, are you, was, how did you sort of navigate that? It was surprisingly it all came together quite easily. Um, the Bay Airs on Virgin Media in Ireland and they really liked it and they met our then commercial director Bill Malone met them at one of the series mania or something and said I want to do something with the guys that make the bay um what have you got and so we sent over a, a couple of scripts and they went well have that one and we went okay and then uh we showed it to ITV and they said yep we'll come in on that and and then away we went but you know uh <laughs> we filmed it at the height of covid it was we were so lucky we didn't get hit by covid once we had the most amazing covid supervisor but um yeah i wouldn't recommend it. i mean i went out to dublin i was allowed to because i had a letter saying that i was uh television and was and film was designated an essential industry by the irish government which meant i could go but it was very strange i hadn't been anywhere for ages and i got there I had to quarantine for five days to be on set for two but yeah it was great it was really good and paula's amazing brilliant cast amazing crews in ireland so yeah great. so that's what's, coming yeah what's that about can you just give us a give us yeah a sure it's um paula malcolmson's playing a very uh seasoned no-nonsense uh, detective inspector working in liverpool uh, and she gets a call uh, from the Dublin police to say she needs to come and identify a body. And she's like, well, well who is this person? And, she, and they give her the name and she's like, I don't know who that is. And then they describe, they give her a physical description and, and the mention of a birthmark makes her realise it's her daughter who she hasn't seen for 20 years, who's changed her name and has been, and despite her having searched for her for years, has never found her changing the name will do that. Um, and so she goes to Dublin and when she gets there, she discovers that she's got grandchildren she didn't know about, that she is now entirely responsible for. And um, her daughter seems to have killed herself. So it's all about second chances and making amends for the mistakes you may have made in the past and what it is to be part of family alongside a twisty turny thriller about what really happened to her daughter so it's really emotional john hayes has directed it who we've worked with before he did a block of a home first, first bankrupt for us and um he's fantastic and he's directed it so beautifully so yeah really really pleased with that fantastic and then and you mentioned you're obviously part of itv studio 
studios. So I wondered, you know, there's, there's lots of M&A kind of has been going on in the last couple of years. It's been a big theme of the industry. And and I guess with uh, the, the market challenges, perhaps at this time of year uh, or the moment, um, that provides a, quite a nice safety net for you. I mean, how do you find being part of the group and, and what does that offer you, I guess, domestically, but also internationally in terms of who you're working with and, and the projects you're developing? Well, in terms of the group, uh, we all do slightly different things. So although I may see them around the building, so I see Dom and Alex at Happy Brins quite often and Kate at Silverprint, and we're all very friendly, um, but we all do slightly different things. So I don't weirdly feel I'm in competition. So yeah, I think it's great. It's really nice to be part of a big sort of creative enterprise and there's so many of us and we all do chat. So that's good. You don't feel quite so alone. So when you're having a bit of a bad day, you can say to one of the others, this week's tough. And they go, yeah, no, this week's tough. So you feel like you've got comrades uh, in the tr- in the travails of uh, making television. But I'm part of ITV, ITV, I have to say, been fantastic. And during the pandemic, absolutely unbelievably good at supporting everyone and um, keeping the show on the road. So, um, yeah, it's it's good. And in terms of international, I think... Yeah, it helps that you've got this big multinational behind you. But in the end, people work with us because of the shows we make. So, you know, we're really lucky we make two very nice, successful returning shows. And that that speaks across borders. So um, especially as they sell so well all over the world that most people you speak to in other territories know the shows. So that, that gets us through the door. Yeah. And when you do bump into your colleagues sort of in, in the, uh, the corridors of ITV studios, I mean, what are some of those things if you've had a bad day? What, what are some of those things that you're finding sort of tough at the moment that other people? Oh, really God, the thing, relate to? the costs, costs going through the roof. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, trying to bring every every penny now is 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 treasured. Um, and and that that is the biggest challenge we're all facing. Yeah, the, the margins are getting smaller. Where where is um, the money going, or where are the costs going up, or is it just? It's going across across the board. I mean, it, just on materials alone. I mean, wood in the last year, I think, has gone up three hundred percent. So if you're building a set, it suddenly costs you three times more than it did before. So it's just on small things like that. You know, crew rates have gone up cast rates have gone up everything's gone up all the you know energy prices have gone up which means facilities their prices have gone up because they've got to cover the additional cost for them so i think that's that's the main thing that everyone's really struggling with mm-hmm. and and i guess that's not helped by the fact our license fees sort of largely stagnant and then that leads to co-productions and, and looking for money wherever you can get it yeah it's i mean you know when i first started out if we go back through the mists of time you went to a broadcast and they fully funded it there was there was no deficit there was no tax break <laughs> there was and now that's just that's not the case so that again is part of the thing that works really well for being part of icv is we've got you know global distribution um who we talk to all the time and are great are coming and backing our shows and then getting that word out and selling them so um yeah it's sort of it's, it's a good place to be yeah yeah and and so if if that's the challenge at the moment where are, where are the opportunities you obviously have um, you know, like you say, some returning shows with ITV. Where, where are the other opportunities perhaps you're exploring? Well, returners are things people want. Uh, so that plays to our strength. We really love building brands um, and that makes it sound horribly commercial and cynical. But you you do build brands around these shows. So you give them a very solid sense of identity. And if you stick with that, then, then it'll travel. So and obviously, if the show's good, that helps too. So that is where, what everyone's asking us for at the moment. And it's what we we like to think we're pretty good at. So that helps. Um, there'll never be more buyers. I'm not sure they're all making as much as everyone thinks they're making. Um, but there's never been more. And there's more. I think you were talking about the Copro thing. It, in Europe, it's been like that for decades. So, for you know, when I talk to Viaplay or France Television, you know, that's just the normal way of doing business over there. So we're sort of coming to the party a bit later. But I just think it's going to be the way forward now. And if you can find partners who are collegiate and everyone signs up to the same end goal i don't i don't find it a problem we had a, it was joyful doing redemption with virgin media and itv not a problem anywhere 
And when you talk about, I guess, the desire for returning brands, I mean, what does that say to you about um, what broadcasters are, are thinking about at the moment in terms of building? I think you need you need to build your. Sh- I, I mean, I'm not a scheduler, so what do I know? But I would imagine knowing you've got what I call sort of tent pegs <laughs> um, around which you can build your schedule. That you know, you know, Death and Paradise is coming back. You know, Silent Witness is coming back, and then you're sort of mixing it up in between those things. You know, you want to give the audience what they want. If you've got a massive, massively successful returning show, treasure it, I would say, because it will continue delivering. It will drive other people to the other content on your platform. Does does that um, reduce the opportunity for those kind of perhaps, you know, single stories and and things like that that maybe are a bit out there, a bit more experimental perhaps? Yeah, I think, I mean, singles, we we don't develop them because they're nigh on impossible to finance. So we, we don't develop them. We don't actively go looking for them. Occasionally they turn up and we go, oh, well, actually, we're going to do that because that's just a, it's a no brainer and, and we really want to make it and we'll find a way. But we know it's an uphill struggle from the get go. Um, but yeah, so I think there's a good there's a good mix. There's a good mix at the moment. There's a real um, emphasis in the UK at the moment on returning. But in overseas, they're all saying, give us the four barters. So we're getting to have our cake and eat it, which is lovely. And I mean, just... Long may it last. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just as you look over the wider landscape, I mean, what are some of the trends perhaps you're seeing at the moment in terms of, you know, what broadcasters want, the production challenges you're facing? Where are, where are some of those trends that we're seeing emerging? It's really interesting. I'm very nervous about trends um, because I always think the minute someone says it's a trend, it's gone. We're terribly self-involved at Talk Story Pictures. We develop things we want to watch on television. We're getting uh, a lot of traction at the moment on things that have got an act- action bent, which is really fun because I get to channel my inner Jerry Bruckheimer. I love action films. I grow up on them, and when they're done well, they're just the best fun. So uh, we've got quite a few of those in, in the works. Yeah, there's, there's a big cry out at the moment for sort of romantic relationship shows. I think they're really hard to do because you've got to build in the stake. What are the stakes? Is the question we're asked a lot so yeah i think you know across the across the board which which as i say self-involved make we develop what we want to make what we want to watch on telly because we're the viewer Palace-based distributor New & Connect is the sales arm of TFN group-owned New & Studios and exports its own and third-party programming around the world the company recently launched Amazon Prime counter-terrorism drama Coeur Noir, Dark Hearts to the international market, as well as ABC Australia comedy Limbo and thriller Blindspot for the UK's Channel 5. New and Connect Chief Commercial Officer Leona Connell spoke to Neil Beatty about the company's mix of English and French language programming and how this balance is shifting. Obviously, New and Connect has, has had plans to move into English language content for a year or so now, if not more. Can you tell me a little bit more about that strategy, how it came about, how you're implementing it and how it's going? Yeah, sure. So um, we've been um, just steadily increasing the amount of drama we're offering um, over the last two and a half years or so. Um, and as part of that offering, you know, we're we want to be, first of all, we want to be um, really one of the sort of leading European distributors with content coming from our own production companies and elsewhere as well from third party producers. And, you know, it, although we've got some um, very good productions coming in from all across Europe, obviously from France, but also from other places such as the Netherlands and Nordics, Spain, etc. It just makes absolute sense to also have some English language content. Um, we've got our own production group, uh, Ringside studios um, with lots of which sort of acts as an umbrella if you like with different production companies under it Um, they're developing a lot of projects and alongside what they will be able to offer us in due course we wanted to sort of speed up if you like the process of of getting more English language content by reaching out to other production companies so what we've done so far we've worked with an Australian company actually Anya uh, Productions on a new um, comedy drama called Limbo Um, that's a six half hour comedy drama and um, it's made for ABC actually and it's directed by Trent O'Donnell Uh, Trent O'Donnell is the director of Ghosts in America on CBS he's also directed Brooklyn Nine-Nine some of those episodes so he's got a great experience in LA and as part of his deal actually he's he's just allowed to do one production other than Ghosts 
posts elsewhere and he chose this one um, and we um, were quite excited about this not just for the talent there's also two great actors on board Bob Morley who's in the 100 and also um, Ryan Call who's just been in House of Dragons recently but it's uh, it's it's quite an important topic. It's a comedy drama about male mental health, and we feel it kind of feels quite timely to talk about that. It's a subject which has been discussed in lots of territories, and it's a great way to do it through the sort of mix of comedy and drama. So that's something a bit different, um, which we decided to invest in, help finance, complete the financing. Another series, well, in fact, two different programs. We've been working working with Chalkboard in the UK, and Chalkboard recently. Made made the Vardy versus Rooney, which went out on Channel 4 just around Christmas time, which we're selling internationally. So that was like an event special, a 90 minute. And in addition to that, they're also now in production on a miniseries, a four part miniseries for Channel 5. They've been very successful in making dramas for Channel 5. And this one's called Blind Spot, and it's going to have Ross Kemp in it. Tell me about that. <laughs> so Blind Spot is basically, it's a thriller crime series about a young woman who's disabled. She's in a wheelchair and she happens to see a woman being attacked in the housing estate she lives in and decides to do her own investigation to find out what had happened. The police have come to no conclusions. And it's basically a bit of a sort of cat and mouse type thriller where she uh, gets to the bottom of who might be the killer and sort of tracks this person down by the fourth episode. And you say um, that's Ross Kemp, is that is that right? Ross Kemp is in it, exactly. It must be one of his um, first acting projects in a while, is it? It is, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's come back um, after doing all the Ross Kemp on gangs and other, other factual programmes. So, yeah, that's really exciting for us. There's also Crystal Clark in it, um, who's been in Sanditon, and a newcomer called Beth Alsbury, who is disabled like her character. And so this will go out sometime in 2023. It's in production at the moment for the, and will be delivered around the summertime. Thing. So yeah. are you are you proud of your your first moves into the um, the, the English English speaking market with with Nguyen? Yes, absolutely. I think it's a nice mix of type of content. The comedy drama is something quite different. Feels fresh, distinctive, and it feels like it's the right time to get. Get into that genre to take more risks with comedy type of content because the platforms are looking more for that at the moment and so are linear channels actually blind spots going to be you know an exciting thriller and um the wagatha christie type trial um it was just a, a fun special which we pre-sold to brickbox in the us and also in australia new zealand and with more deals on the way so yeah we're very proud of our first slate of content yeah and sure i mean obviously creatively and editing these are these are projects that sound very impressive but from a business point of view you know because it all comes down to money eventually is the the moving to english language a, a, an attempt to, to monetize monetize content better because obviously french content it has a growing appeal but will be limited to some extent yeah english language gives you more more it gives scope? us more it does more opportunities to sell it more widely still although french or other european content because our catalogs really not just french is growing as you know popularity everywhere there's still some parts of the world which prefer english language so for example asia uh, will prefer english language to maybe other european content so it does it does just give us that bit more opportunity and in some instances the prices can be a bit higher so obviously that has a value but then again with english language content you tend to get bigger budgets which means bigger deficits so you have to weigh up the pros and cons <laughs> and more competition of course mm, yes yeah. of course absolutely. i understand um hip is being remade in the us as well isn't it by ABC? yes is that right? Yes, that's right. By ABC Signature um, as a studio and um, we'll be going into production soon. And um, yeah, we, we're, we're very proud of that deal to bring, a, I think it's the first French drama series to be made for a, potentially a network in America. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. And I understand you hired Phil Sequeira? Yes, that's right. With the, the move into the English language content, um, what does he offer? So Phil comes with great experience, um, having lived in the US uh, and worked for BBC Worldwide for many years, and prior to that, working for ITV Studios. He's um, he's got some great relationships with US broadcasters, and and now also with the UK one. So he's come in to help us sell and pre-sell, find co-production partners in those markets, which are absolutely key. And for us, it's also quite important because it means that we've got somebody in place who's got the experience and the time to be able to support our own producers when it comes to finding financing in those key markets.
Talking about mm. financing, I believe you got a cash injection from financier Anton. Has that been a big help in putting together this slate of both English and non-English uh, shows? Yeah, so we partner with Anton on our drama content. We've been working with them for probably about two and a half years, I would say. And it's a great partnership. It enables us to sometimes sort of look at projects um, and, and sort of maybe take a little bit more risk and broaden out the slates because we've got another company who, who can help us with the financing. So we go in hand in hand, if you like, on the projects with an investment from both companies. Okay. So it sounds like you've got the quality in place for your, your content um, here. I mean, are you just looking to increase the, the quantity in, in coming years and going forward of English language content? Yeah, that's fair to say that. Look to work more closely also with our production companies as and when they get more content greenlit and then look to work with more third-party producers as well to just have a nice sort of broad slate of quality English language content. <laughs> sure, sure. Mm. How has the, de- the demand for French content itself for that changed in recent years and what has it been driven by? Do you think it's a lot to do with the streaming platforms or more than yeah, that? Yeah, I'd say it's um, a little bit more than that. Obviously, the streaming platforms have done a fantastic thing, which has opened up the world to, lang- to content from all over the globe. Um, and individuals, uh, audiences who may not have been used to watching much more than programming from their own countries and maybe US content, because that's obviously travelled very well historically, have um, found that there's some great programmes from other countries, in particular from Europe and France. So it's been a great help. They weren't always the first to do it. Other companies like BBC4 have been showing foreign language content for a while. But yeah, it's been it's been fantastic for us. It's really, it's really helped us challenge, I suppose, uh, more traditional broadcast masters into considering programming which has come from being produced in different European countries. But it's it's not just the streamers. Um, it's not just down to the, the streamers. It's also, I would say, down to the fact that, well, we, there has been less programming available in the market from the US with studios launching platforms globally, retaining rights. And that's given us more opportunities to push our own programming. And then when those when, when the new platforms have been opened up in different territories to also sell more of our, our, more of our content. Belgium and Switzerland are really important markets for us in terms terms of not just drama but all genres because we do a lot of pre-sales in those markets and sometimes they're part of the financing plan um, but they're they're important for us um, to yeah to find uh, other avenues for our content in French-speaking Europe. Right um, what, yeah. what do you think makes French French language content from France unique what does it offer in the you know scripted space that that other countries can't match? Well, I think there's some great talent. Um, France has got a huge track record uh, in, in film business, a, a very big film business. Um, and from that film business, there's individuals who've come, you know, great directors, uh, writers, filmmakers, uh, who are able to bring that that experience and transform it into, into series. I think thinking of the, one of the series we're launching alongside Limbo, Dark Hearts, which has just started going out on Amazon, which I think you may have heard of Coeur Noir, Amazon France, it's doing really, really well. It started off as the number one series and now it's number three still a few weeks in, so that's really good. That's um, made by a company called Mondarin Television and they they come from the world of film, these Mondarin films. And I think that's quite a good example of really high-end French drama, which has got a great opportunity to pierce through internationally. I'd say also something like uh, The Promise. It's not brand new. We, we launched it probably a couple of years ago, um, but it sold really well internationally to, to linear broadcasters, actually, including BBC. But that's quite a good example. It's a six-parter for TF1. It was one of TF1's first serialised series, um, as opposed to the more traditional procedural ones. Just a solid murder investigation based over two temporalities beautiful locations good pace um strong story so that's that's probably quite a good example um and another one actually of course is l'opera l'opera which we've got two seasons of was made for ocs so more pay tv in style but super accessible it's about the world of ballet and the extreme difficulties ballet dancers have to sort of keep at the top of their game basically any impact it has on their everyday lives their relationships etc but it's done in a really accessible 
accessible way and it looks absolutely gorgeous. That sold very well for us, uh, both to Linear and also to quite a few S4 platforms. Okay. Yeah, so it's a good and example. Do you think shows like Call My Agent, The Returned and Lupin have attracted a lot more eyeballs to, to French language uh, shows as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, they've, they've brought in a lot of people and they create a buzz and that in turn helps, doesn't it? Call My Agent is one which um, uh, New End Connect also partially distributes alongside France Television. We've got joint rights, but we've done quite a few remake sales on that. Okay, okay. Mm. That's a couple of questions. Um, what genres are selling well in the um, in the French language space? Is it all drama or is there is there, is comedy doing well? Um, mm. uh, well, crime drama, mystery does very well. Um, when I think about what we've been selling over the first the last few years, I've got quite a few examples of that. Um, but also, I suppose one would call it sort of relationship drama, like L'Opéra, which I mentioned. And now we've uh, we're quite curious to see what will come out of um, some more comedic side. There's a big thirst, a big appetite for comedy, just generally across the board internationally at the moment with everything which else which is going on in the world. That's quite understandable. And um, it's quite interesting, actually, a number of channels and platforms who wouldn't really look at that genre before uh, are now sort of considering it. So we've got one series called Past Forward, um, which we launched at the Paris screenings just in January. And that's it's a drama, but a comedic drama, if you like, a one hour, I think it's six one hour format. And yeah, that, that had a really good reception. I think that's sort of the lighter drama where you follow some characters who are quite quirky and you get to see, you know, their upsides and downsides and their thing is, uh, is has appeal and just expanding on the international growth of um of, of this i mean do you also have strong sales in parts of africa and um, canada that are, that are french speaking do you, do you target those territories as well yes we do we've got um very regular quite abundant business in canada in french speaking canada we've got some really good relationships there with um the likes of quebecor and tele quebec who buy from us very regularly and uh French-speaking Africa, um, a little less, to be honest, and it's something which we've actually targeted this year as, as a market to develop a bit further, but there's not so many players there. We've, we've done a few deals on the animation side, actually, more than drama recently. And on the drama side, sometimes deals are done where French-speaking Africa is included as part of the French footprint, okay. as opposed to a standalone entity. New and Connects, Leona Connell speaking with Neil Beatty. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more discussion by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll find new interviews airing from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.